Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. I've got a message for all of you this morning that I've called, When I Was Your Age. All right. You know, all of you have probably heard that at some point. Some of you may have said that before. Um, whether, you know, whether you've heard it from your grandparents, whether you've heard it from your parents, whether you've said it to your kids. Because um, the truth is, as you get older, by the time that you get to that age, you've learned a lot of life lessons. You've experienced a lot of things. You've been through a lot of things. And that, that's what I love about my dad and, and fathers in general, is that they just have so many great bits of wisdom. And as goofy as they may be, they, they actually have a lot of things to teach and to share. And uh, it's, it's incredible. I, I love it so much. And that's one of my favorite things about the Bible, is that it's so full of of just lessons and stories from people who walked the walk of faith and fought the good fight and learned things the hard way and and listened to God and pioneered our faith. There's so many just amazing men of God and women of God that you'll find in the scriptures, and you can learn so much from them. And the, the cool thing is that they're all inspired by God, and it's it's all lessons that God wants to teach you. It's so cool. I love it. And, and for those of you who know me, you know I'm not a father, um, so I'm not going to pretend to get up here and, and give you advice on how to be a father or a parent, because that's, that's not what, that's obviously not my forte. But um, I, I did think it'd be really cool if we take some time and just go through some of the actual fathers of our faith, some of the men uh, of, of God who pioneered uh, our, our faith and learn lessons from them that will apply to anybody. You know, they, they can apply to your parenting, um, but also just your life and, and uh, your relationships and how you live. Uh, so that's what, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start out today, uh, this morning, with Adam. Adam, who is the father of the fall. Adam is the father of the fall. And the lesson that we can learn from Adam is to get back up. Get back So in the beginning of time, maybe you've heard a lot of these stories that I'm going to share with you. So I'm going to give you brief overviews of them. But God created the heavens and the earth and and the the first six days of creation. He just, he created everything that you see, created the universe. He said, let there be light. He, all of those amazing things. And on the sixth day, he created man. And and he looked at Adam, whom he named Adam. and, And he said, it's not good that man be alone. So he created woman from his side, somebody that could be a helper to him, some, someone comparable to him that he could do life with. And so God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them everything. He gave them dominion over, over the, the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and the animals on the ground and everything that grows. He gave it all to them. And the only thing he said to Adam was, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, that's, that's the only thing. Everything else was Adam's. He gave it all to him. And, and the truth was, he wasn't even withholding anything from Adam. He was, he was telling him not to eat from that tree to protect him. Is because he was caring for Adam. Well, well, what did Adam do? Well, Eve first took of the fruit. Who She was deceived by the serpent. She gave it to Adam. Adam ate it. Uh, you all probably know the story. They disobeyed God. Okay, so, so God appears to Adam, uh, and he says, what did you do? Did you eat the, the tree that I, I told you not to eat from? And Adam said it was the woman, and the woman said it was the serpent, and no one really took blame for it. But God says, since you did this, since you ate from the tree after I told you not to, you're going to be cursed. Like, that's the consequence to this action. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in Genesis chapter 3 is where he's telling them what the consequences to this action 
is. And before we read that, though, I love that everybody looks at this story. This was the, the fall of mankind. This was where sin entered the world. This was where hopelessness came into existence. And, and so many people look at this story like this was the end, like this is where it all was finished. This was where we had no more hope anymore after Adam ruined it for all of us. But the truth was, this wasn't the end of the story. And the, the cool thing I love about God is that he doesn't ever let the fall be the end, that there's always more for, for you in every situation. There's always a plan of redemption. There's always a plan to give you back what you've lost, but to, to, to give back even more that you've lost. And so even in this punishment, when we look at Genesis chapter three, verse 15, he's still giving a promise. He's saying, yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you, you did what you weren't supposed to do. And there is, there is a punishment for that, but I'm not gonna leave you there. I'm not gonna let this be the end of the story. And so he says in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What God's actually doing is he's actually prophesying or foretelling about Jesus. What he's actually saying is, yeah, there's this punishment, but guess what? I'm going to fix it. I'm going to bring you Jesus. I've got this plan for redemption to get you back up on your feet, to get you to a place where you can actually live in a relationship with me. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This was the end of the story. When Jesus came, he fixed the problem that was broken. He got mankind back upon their feet. He empowered men and women to live in a relationship with God. He paid the price for sin, and, and that was the end of the story. Before writing Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling was a broke, depressed, divorced single mother who was writing a novel while she was studying. Abraham Lincoln went from being a captain in the army to a private, a captain to, in the army to a private, the lowest rank. He then failed at several business ventures. Before he became president, he launched several failed campaigns for politics. Steven Spielberg is one of the most famous and successful filmmakers. His films have grossed $9 billion. He's won three Academy Awards, but he was rejected twice by the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. For Jerry Seinfeld's first time on stage doing stand-up, he froze and was jeered and booed off stage. Now he's one of the most famous comedians and has his own TV show. Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first job as a TV anchor. Dr. Seuss was rejected from 27 different publishers. After Elvis' first performance at the Grand Ole Opry, he was fired. Albert Einstein didn't start speaking until four, didn't start reading until seven, and was thought to be mentally handicapped. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. He said this, he said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I miss. I have failed over and over again, and that's why I succeed. Yeah. See, with God, there's always a way to get back up on your feet. 
With God, failure is never the end of your story. Defeat is never what, what, where your life ends at because you have the victory through Christ. Whatever has been broken in your life, God's not just gonna fix, he's not just gonna replace, but he's gonna give you even more than what you lost. Whatever is sick, God's gonna heal. God's gonna restore. Whatever, whatever is hopeless in your life, God is bringing hope because there is a hope because Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to live hopeless. You can always get back up. Don't stay down. Don't give up. You've been made in the image of God. Back in Genesis, it said, in the image of, of God, he created them. You've all been created in his image. You literally look like God. That's so powerful. And the thing is, when, when someone tries to steal something from you, when the devil tries to lie at you, when he tries to convince you that you're a failure, that you've been defeated, God takes that personally because you're his child. And God's not just gonna be content to let somebody steal from you, to let your life be robbed from, but God takes it personally and he's gonna restore, he's gonna redeem, he's gonna fix what's been broken, he's gonna give you back what's been stolen. That failure is not the end of your story, so don't give up. Get back up on your feet. Keep going. Keep trusting God. Keep looking toward the promise because the, the failure, the fall is not the end of your story. Get back up. The second guy that we're going to look at is Noah. Noah. He is the father of the flood. The father of the flood. And the lesson that we can learn from Noah is to let it go. Let it go. We spend so much time dwelling on the past dwelling on our mistakes, dwelling on our shortcomings. I know, me too. Like this is, I, I believe everybody can relate to this. Dwelling on the, the things that people have said, dwelling on the people that have hurt us, dwelling on the, the bad memories and the bad experiences that maybe we had growing up, or you know, maybe, maybe you didn't have a father in here today. You know, some, sometimes we let that just latch onto us and let that get us down. There's so much that we hold onto. There's so much weight that we carry around. But God shows us with the story of Noah what it really looks like just to let it go, just to forget. See, back in the day, back in Genesis, this was later on after God created Adam and Eve, uh, mankind got pretty evil, really evil, completely evil, like it was bad, and God got angry with man. And I do not blame him because the truth was, it was, a, it was a bad situation. In Genesis chapter six, verse five, it said, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. All right, think about that. That's pretty bad. Like you look around at society today and all the, the things that are happening and you're probably thinking, man, people are pretty corrupt, but not as corrupt as this was, okay? Not even close. It says that every thought was on evil continuously. You know, most of you in this room, you probably have at least one good thought a day. You know, I think it's safe to assume that there are good things that you think about, but there were no good thoughts in mankind. It was all evil. It was all perverted. And God was angry. He had to be angry. So what God did is he decided, I'm going to wipe out mankind from existence. I'm going to send a flood and destroy everything. But it says that Noah, he found grace in the eyes of God. And, and it, he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It doesn't say that, that he earned God's grace. It says he just found it. He just stumbled into it. That's, our, that's my story. I just found God's grace. Thank God. But, he, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And so what God says is, okay, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. So God speaks to Noah, and he says, you're going to build the boat. You're going to take two of every animal onto this boat. Uh, you're going to bring your family onto this boat. I'm going to flood the earth, 
and then I'm going to let you live and, and basically repopulate the earth. And so Noah obeys God, and he builds this ark, and, and God does what he says he's going to do, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, and God completely wipes the earth from all living creatures except for Noah and his family. And at the end of this, God said in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, he said, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So here God promises, I'm never going to curse the earth again. Okay? And I imagine at this point, God's, he's probably pretty tired of being angry. You know, I, I, that must be so disappointing to just continually look at, at, at your creation and just see evil and see corruption. And I, I can't imagine how disappointing and heartbreaking this must have been for God. But he said, I'm never going to curse the ground again. So what happens is the next time he became angry with man, because it happened again, because like he just said, the, the thoughts of man are on evil continuously. So the next time that he became angry with mankind and mankind became corrupt, he didn't just curse the ground. He said, you know what? This time I'm going to send Jesus Christ. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send Jesus to take your punishment, to take your sins, to bear it on the cross. And I'm going to curse him so I never have to be angry with you again. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 9, it says, For I, as, as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would no longer be angry with you, nor rebuke you. See, God's wrath was satisfied on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, I believe, verse 13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took our curse. He took what we deserve so that now you don't have to live in turmoil. You don't have to, to, to receive God's punishment. God's not angry with you because he took all of his anger on Jesus. He's forgotten about your past. He's forgotten about your sins. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is, is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that's a hard thing for me to process because I just think about like the amount of times I get angry on a daily basis. You know, I'm, no, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect in here, I, I hope. But just, I, I just think about just the number of small annoyances that occur on a daily basis. And I, I've made a list just for fun. All right, just bear with me for a second. I've called this segment things that make me mad. All right, chocolate ice cream. I just, okay, throw stones at me. I cannot stand the taste of chocolate. I don't know why. I just, I guess I was programmed weird. Not a fan of chocolate. Terrible drivers. I think everyone can relate. School zones. I love our kids, but school zones are the worst. I feel like they're always out to make me late for work. And I'm like, I, I feel like it doesn't matter what time of day I leave my house or what, like, there's always a school zone that I run into. That's just what happens. The check engine light that's in my truck that never goes away. I, don't, I can't do anything to make that thing leave. So if you're, uh, if you're good with that stuff, come see me after service. Um, the line at Starbucks also always wants to make me late. People who don't have iPhones and love to ruin your group text, I'm sorry if that's you, but you know who you are in here. Uh, the people at my apartments who don't pick up their dog's poop. People who put the toilet paper on backwards. If you didn't know, there is a right way to put on, okay, all right, I'm a good company. It's waterfall style, is it not? It comes away from the wall. That's how you put on toilet paper. Not getting all the air out of a Ziploc bag. Talking in movies. People who are funnier than me. All right, that makes, that, I'm like, I don't encounter that very often because, you know, I'm a pretty funny guy. But like on the off chance, I'm like, 
I don't like you. You're funnier than me. <laughs> I don't want to be friends with you. And then, then my last thing is losing. All right, so I don't do it. That's my philosophy. So there, those are things that, that annoy me. And as, as funny as that is, I think you all can relate. There's just so many things in life that just come to steal your joy and come to steal your happiness. And then like every day, it doesn't matter how good of a day you're having, there's always gonna be that one thing that just gets on your nerves. But here's the thing. God has completely forgot about your past. He's completely forgot about your sin. He's not angry with you anymore. And what astounds me, is that for thousands of years and over billions of people and some of the most evil people the world has ever seen, God has somehow managed to forget all of their sin. That's crazy. Yet we can't seem to get over those, those small little annoyances that we encounter on a daily basis. So this challenges me. Don't let the thief come to steal your joy. Don't let, don't let situations in life come to rob you from, from your faith and from the happiness that you can experience in life. Life's too short to carry around grudges and regrets and bitterness and offense, so don't do it. You can let it go. You can have a conversation with God this morning and say, God, I don't want to carry this around any longer. I want your peace to fill my life. Listen, I know what it's like to carry around anger and resentment and regret, and it's not fun. It hurts, so let it go this morning. Give it to God because you can give it to God. You don't have to waste time regretting things that you've lost, things that have been stolen from you. Life's too short to be angry with others. This third thing is from Abraham, the father of our faith. And you can all probably guess the lesson that we can learn from Abraham, and that's to walk by faith, right? And you're all like, hey, wait a second, that sounds a little familiar. Well, yeah, because you hear that every Sunday here, because that's what our relationship with God is based on, is faith. That's how we live and breathe and move, and that's how we communicate with God. It all comes down to faith. And Abraham's considered to be the father of our faith. He's the, he's the guy that really modeled what our relationship with God could look like, because he chose to believe God. And again, you may know a little bit about his story, but him and his wife, Sarah, they couldn't have a kid. And uh, so, so God appeared to them, I believe Abraham was in his 80s or so, when God appeared to him and said, your wife, Sarah, she's gonna conceive a son, you're gonna have a child. And that's crazy, right? Like, just think about that for a second. You know, it, it actually didn't happen until Abraham was 100 years old. Okay, so think of, of, of people in, in their 80s having a child. Like, that's crazy, right? Like that, that just doesn't work with the way that we view not only biology, but society. It just doesn't make sense. Romans chapter four, verses 19 through 22. It says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this is what walking by faith looks like. Abraham didn't consider his body or his wife's body, but he chose to believe God. Walking by faith means not to consider your situation over the promise that God has given you. I, uh, I, I had TMJ for the longest time, and if you don't know what that is, it's, it's basically a problem with, with, with your jaw where when you try to open it, it'll pop or lock, and it's just really incredibly painful. And to give you a little context on it, I was in a, an accident my junior year of high school, I believe, um, 
I was just a dumb teenager, wrecked my car, long story short, I did it. Um, it happens. And um, I, I remember about a year after that, I was sitting in a class and I was taking a test, and I just remember that my jaw just completely popped over to the side and I couldn't open it and it hurt so bad and I was in a lot of pain. And so after school, my mom took me to the chiropractor and they kind of helped get it back on track. And for a while, I was just going to the chiropractor every day and they would help a little, but it would always just go back. I would always have trouble with that. And at, at one point, actually it was Pastor Heather's brother, he was a chiropractor and he did an x-ray on me and uh, he looked at the x-ray. He said, have you ever been in a car accident? I said, yeah, actually I have. He said, because here's what it looks like. It looks like where your seatbelt was, it looks like your spine kind of readjusted around that due to the whiplash. And what I think happened is every bone in your spine, everything just started to, to rotate and to twist until finally your jaw just snapped, just, just popped over. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And so he helped me for a while, but like the, the problem would never completely go away. And for a while, I, I stopped going to the chiropractor because I started going to college. Um, at UT Arlington, uh, and I was sitting in a class, this was probably two or three years after I stopped seeing the chiropractor. I, I kind of had to just make the decision that like, God's my healer. And I just put my faith in that. And I just decided every day just to, to profess that healing over my life and just believe him, even though like nothing was changing with my jaw. And I remember I was just sitting in class again. Um, it all comes full circle. I was sitting in a college class and I was just listening to the professor, looking at the board, and all of a sudden I just like opened my, my jaw and it was completely fixed. And in that moment, like it was a night and day difference. In that moment, I just realized, hey, there's my healing. Like God is good. And this is what walking by faith looks like. It means not focusing on your situation, but focusing on the promise. It doesn't mean ignore the facts. It means acknowledge the truth in your situation. Listen, your doctor might say you're sick, but the Bible says that it's by Jesus' stripes that you are healed. Your situation may be bleak. It may be hopeless. It may feel like nothing can ever get better, but listen, faith says that God can fix it and God will fix it and never stop believing that and never stop speaking that over your life because God is with you and he loves you and he wants to bring you out of that situation that, that seems seems impossible, but God can do it. That's the legacy that I want, I want to leave my kids. You know, if, if I could teach my kids anything, I want to teach them to walk by faith. Because it, as simple as it sounds, that's really all you need right there. If you can learn to walk by faith, you can weather any storm, you can overcome any obstacle, you can fix anything that's broken in your life. Walk by faith. And this last thing we're going to find from Moses. Moses, father of the fault. All right, now bear with me for a second. I'm going to walk you through some scriptures to explain this. But the lesson that we're going to learn from Moses is to live in grace. Live in grace. I think I know that, that mankind, humans, you, I, we all have the tendency to be hard on ourselves, to be hard on others, and maybe, maybe hard on, on someone for something they've done to you, maybe you know, just hard, just overcritical, overanalyzing. That's just, I feel like that's in our nature, but... When you learn to live in grace, it frees you so, 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 so much. You know, it, it, that when you're living a critical life, you're carrying around a weight that's so heavy and, and so depressing and it's hard. You can't do it. And, and you've got to learn to live in grace. So we're going to look at Moses, all right? Moses, he was the guy that led God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brought them into the promised land. But on the way, they, they walked 40 years through a wilderness. 
Okay, and so at one point while they're walking through the wilderness, God has a face-to-face meeting with, with God, or Moses has a meeting with God uh, on a mountain where God basically gives a list of all of the commandments that the, the people of Israel are going to have to follow. And you, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but there were a lot more than just those Ten Commandments uh, that God gave his people. So he did it. But there was a, a problem with this law. There was there's something that this law could not do. In fact, I think there were actually 613 commandments that God ended up giving his people. There were a lot. They were, they were impossible to live by. But God recognized that there was a problem with this law. You see, the law itself was perfect. You know, everything in it was good. But it didn't produce the desired outcome. The problem with the law was it basically showed God's people how sinful they were, how much they needed God, but it didn't ever actually pull them out of that sin. It didn't give them an actual pathway to perfection. It just made everyone sin more. And actually, after the law, things didn't get better. They just got worse. Like, it just started this long, circular spiral of them turning their backs from God and them uh, doing terrible things and worshiping other gods. It didn't help anything. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, Paul said this. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. See, when the law came, it just showed people how, it showed them all of their flaws, all of their faults. It showed them how much of a sinner they really were. The law shows you something that you can never live up to, that you can never attain. It wasn't even designed to help people make, get any better. It was designed to show people how much they needed God. And boy, did it show people how much they needed God. It makes you constantly mindful of your faults and it pushes you down this pathway of guilt and condemnation, that's what trying to live up to a set of, of, a set of expectations does. For example, I don't know if any of you who maybe went to high school in Texas had to do this. I don't know if this is a new thing or if they still do it, but when I was in high school, the state of Texas, they did something called a fitness gram. Okay, is anybody familiar with that? You know, okay, maybe Faith, I know we kind of went to school same time. Caitlin, I know you were there. Uh, fitness gram, it was basically a standardized test in Texas to measure your fitness. All right, but that's all it did. All it did was measure your fitness. It didn't help you improve. It didn't uh, give you an exercise plan. It didn't uh, give you a meal plan. Basically, it was this test that, that we did once a year where everybody goes into the auditorium, your entire grade, you all do these tests in front of all of your classmates. So it's already embarrassing if you don't work out me. All right. So it's already really bad. And then at the end of it, what they do is they write a letter to your parents, basically telling your parents that you're obese. Like that's what it all comes down to. And I'm like, thank you. I did not need this fitness gram to tell me that I was out of shape. Like I already knew that I was out of shape, but that's all this test was designed to do was just to point out your flaws, was just to tell you that, that you weren't fit. Did it help me change? Nope. Did it make me want to work out? Absolutely not. It just shamed me, all right? It just made me feel, Elizabeth, you were in school with me. You know what I'm talking about, too. It just made me feel bad about myself. 
See, when you're constantly focused on living up to a set of expectations and you're focused on the flaws and on the the laws and on your faults, then your life is not going to get any better. It's just going to bring guilt and condemnation to you. It's just going to send you down a path that's not going to take you anywhere good. But if you choose to stop focusing on your faults and what you can't do and what you can't live up to and every, every area of life that you're failing, but instead choose to look to God and choose to receive his grace and choose to receive his forgiveness, then your life will improve so much, you'll stop feeling that burden that you're constantly carrying around of of trying to be good enough but never succeeding, and you'll accept the fact that God has already qualified you, that he's already said that you're good enough, and it's actually that that empowers you to live a changed life. It's the grace of God that actually empowers you to change, not the other way around. If you want to live a holy life, if you want to be good, if you want to grow, then stop trying to do that and start receiving the grace of God because that's what's got to come first. And actually in John chapter 8, when Jesus encountered the woman who was caught in adultery, they brought the woman to him and, and they were trying to stone her and they're like, Jesus, what do you say? And you might know the story. If not, I would go read it. But basically in, in verse 10, Jesus said to the woman, he said, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, she would not have had the power to go and sin no more if Jesus first hadn't given her that, that, that gift of no condemnation. It was the fact that Jesus chose not to condemn her and not to judge her that actually empowered her to live a sinless life. Jesus first gave grace and then told her to sin no more. Grace changes people. Are you tired of, of, of seeing a sinful world? of maybe that person in your life who's constantly doing the right thing, we'll start showing them the grace of God because it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. There's nothing that you could ever do to make someone change. There's no amount of shame and condemnation that you could ever guilt somebody into changing. It's just gonna make things worse. But if you choose to show grace, and to share the love of God, then their life will change. That's the story of my life. I had pastors and a youth pastor who just constantly reaffirmed God's love in my life, and it made me want to live a life that was holy and and consecrated to God. That's what sent me down the path of wanting to be in ministry, was the fact that somebody chose to share God's love with me. So receive God's grace in your life, and it will free you. I promise you it will free you. You don't, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to, to, to carry that burden around. Whatever mistakes you've made, God doesn't look at them, so you stop looking at them. Whatever, whatever laws that you feel like you've broken in, in this regard, hey, God loves you. That's all you need to know. And share that grace with other people. Adam, get back up. Noah, let it go. Abraham, walk by faith. And Moses, live in grace. Let's pray. God, I thank you so, so much for this amazing family that you brought together this morning. I thank you, God, that whatever people came in here with, whatever burden that they're carrying, God, I thank you for lifting that off their shoulders right now because it's with Jesus that, that, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, God, I thank you just for lightening the load on their lives today, that whatever heaviness that is, whatever shame they've been dealing with, whatever guilt whatever failure, whatever defeat, whatever sickness, God, that today all of that changes. And that I, I thank you that your perfect peace that passes all understanding 
will guard their hearts and their minds, God, that maybe the situation they're in won't change immediately, God, but the situation inside of them can change right now. That the havoc and, and the storm that's been inside of their mind, inside of their bodies, God, I thank you for silencing that right now, for chasing out any doubt, any insecurity, any regret, any guilt. God, I thank you for your, for your perfect love to fill their lives. That maybe, maybe some of you have, have thought about giving up. Maybe you have given up because you feel like nothing can ever get better, but I wanna tell you that that doesn't have to be the end of your story. And that if you get back up, I promise you God will not let you down. If you just continue to trust him and continue to persevere, he will not disappoint you. And the future that you're getting to that's just around the corner will be so much greater than what you're experiencing right now. It's worth it, I promise. Don't give up, get back up. And whatever bitterness, whatever anger, whatever regret you've been carrying around, let it go. Don't let that hold you back anymore and just continue to trust God, continue to persevere. God, I thank you that they're just continuing to follow you, God, that you're working in their lives, that signs and miracles are gonna follow them everywhere they go. And I thank you above all just for your grace that we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it because the truth is we couldn't have, but you freely gave it. And I just thank you for that freedom upon every life here this morning. We love you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.